Hey friends, you're listening to the Young Adult Sermon Podcast from First Christian Church. We hope these words bless you, encourage you, and help you follow Jesus more faithfully. Thanks for tuning in and enjoy. Hi everyone. I'm not Josh. Josh is not here. Josh didn't tell me where he was going actually, um, but that's okay. So I get the pleasure of uh, going through Galatians 3 with you guys, which is really fun actually. Uh, I've read this probably a couple, like over 100 times in the past few weeks prepping for this, and one of the things I was just thinking about, he get, Paul gets so intense about this, it's really funny. He like goes after these people, and it made it actually really fun to keep reading, uh, and the more I got into it. Um, anyway, so last week, we uh, Josh went over with us, Galatians 2, um, called out the church initially for its hypocrisy and for judging people based on actions and appearance. Um, and then he reminded Galatia that they cannot be redeemed by the law. It was something that was kind of towards the end and, like, didn't go into depth. Paul took an entire chapter, or what is now a chapter of Galatians, to go into this, and he went after them a lot, which was fun. Um, so we're just actually going to go through it. The four things we're going to kind of talk about today are um, salvation versus sanctification and how our and faith versus works, and how all four of those things kind of collide. It's a really interesting and very rich piece of scripture, so we actually are going to read the whole thing. I'm going to read the whole thing with you guys and kind of go through it point by point. Um, yeah, so let's just get started. Uh, so Galatians 3, 1 through 5. Is it up there? Because I don't want to do the exclamation in the mic. It's going to, all right. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish after beginning by means of the Spirit? Are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? Have you experienced so much in vain if it really was in vain? So again, I ask, does God give you his Spirit and work miracles among you by the works of the law or by your believing what you heard? So, just going to stop there real quick. That was really the super fun part of it, where he just kind of goes after them. Um, and it's an interesting situation. The Galatians had, were in a position where they had experienced in present day what had happened to Christ. They were uh, Gentiles, so they likely weren't as present or there at, during his lifetime for his crucifixion. But it was clearly portrayed to them. They were alive during that period of time. Um, they saw miracles, or some of them had the opportunity to see miracles in their life, um, yet they still return to trying to be perfected by their works. And that's what Paul is calling them out here for. Um, something that we are all guilty of, uh, but it's interesting that it even happened to people who experienced him so personally and so readily. Um, at some point in every, this is what they're suffering through, the Galatians are going through this, that at every point in some, in a, in a believer's life, they believed absolutely that Jesus died to save them from their sins. But we all go back to attempting to follow the rules to be perfected in Christ or to be good as we try to walk with God. So that takes us to Galatians 3, 6 through 9. So also Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith. And announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. 
Um, this is actually a super rich area, but it ties in super well with the second block below. So just the short overview before we go into that is we are justified by faith. Josh talked a little bit about this last week, but we're going to go super in-depth into it in about four more verses. Um, Galatians 10.14 says, For all who rely, 10 through 14, for all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. As it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Clearly, no one who relies on the law is justified before God because the righteous will live by faith. The law is not based on faith. On the contrary, it says the person who does not does these things will live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a pole. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. This is a very long sentence, honestly. Um, but a large portion of this talks about how we are saved and our salvation. And a, something that I kind of focused in on in one of the sermons I was listening to and that they talked about a lot was kind of the foolishness of this, the idea that we are trying to justify and, justify and perfect ourselves by our acts. But if we think about this in the way we would think about any other agreement, we are cursed by the law. We are cursed because we cannot fully achieve the law. And Christ has paid for us to be justified in the law. And by further seeking to justify ourselves through works, we are actually trying to make a second payment towards the same thing that we've already received. Which, if you think about that in terms of anything else that you own, that's stupid. Um, and it doesn't entirely change here. Not that we're stupid, just human. Um, well, same thing. All right. Uh, Galatians three fifteen through 20. Brothers and sisters, let me take an example from everyday life. Just as no one can set aside or add to human covenant that has, truly, that has been duly established, so it is in this case. The promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. Scripture does not say, and to seeds, meaning many people, but, and to your seed, meaning one person who is Christ. What I mean is this, the law introduced 430 years later does not set aside the covenant previously established by God and thus do away with the promise. For if the inheritance depends on the law, then it no longer depends on the promise. But God in his grace gave it to Abraham through a promise. Why then was the law given at all? It was added because the transgressions until the seed to whom the promise referred had come. The law was given through angels and entrusted to a mediator. A mediator, however, implies more than one party but God is one. So this is another, like I said, this whole section is super rich with different topics. The one that we're going to focus on today from this section is that, two things actually. First is that Abraham believed in God. Sorry, I say that wrong so many times. That was actually the opposite of my point. Abraham believed God. It was a, a statement of trust, not a statement of, I believe in, a, I believe in ghosts. Like this abstract concept of something that you don't understand. I don't believe in ghosts, by the way. Sorry. Um, the statement I believe in is this non-relational statement of a distant belief in something that you think is true. I believe you is a very different statement. And that's what this says here is that Abraham believed God. It was a statement of trust God had spoken to him, and this actually says that God spoke the gospel to him long before we had Christ, long before we had the law, and made a promise of salvation, and that 
Abraham was sanctified through it. That's going to be a big part of what we talk about today. And then the other part is actually a really interesting, in my opinion, um, legal aspect of this, which is that Paul focused on a lot. That the law that came 430 years after the promise uh, that it God offered Abraham can't be added to the promise. This is the same thing that we kind of talked about with the payment. But if I give you something for $10 and you have it for 430 years or, you know, a normal amount of time, a year, and I come back to you and tell you, you owe me $50,000 now, that's not how anything works. It's never how it worked. And that is actually what we are doing when we are applying this. And that's what he's calling people out for is that when we put ourselves under the law, we are agreeing to abide by something that was not intended to do that. It was not intended to be part of our salvation or our sanctification. All right, the last section of Galatians, and then we're going to go through all the big ideas that this brought up. Um, Galatians 3, 21 through 29. Is the law therefore opposed to the promises of God? Absolutely not, which is super important, by the way. The law not opposed to the promises of God. For if a law had been given that could impart life, then righteousness would certainly have come, to, come by the law. But Scripture has locked up everything under the control of sin, so that what was promised being given through faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Before the coming of this faith, we were held in custody under the law, locked up until the faith that was to come would be revealed. So the law was our guardian until Christ came that we might be justified by faith. Now that this faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves in Christ, with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female. For you are all one in Christ. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. This section brings us to the first like, big idea that I wanted to talk about with the scripture tonight, which is that we can only be saved by faith. And to really go into that, we have to understand the law and what the purpose of the law was. In verse 26, yeah, 24, Paul presents it as a guardian, which is actually a really interesting word. It had a lot of legal implications in the time that it was used. Uh, King James Version called it a schoolmaster. But the, the original word was uh, pedag ogas. And it was a slave that was uh, intended to act as the legal guardian of a child. Um, a child was turned over to the slave around the age of six, and the slave basically raised them and educated them through adolescence. Not formal education, but it was an education in terms of manners and etiquette, and they were often very strong disciplinarians in the definition for this word, a switch was mentioned twice in the two sentences used as a definition. So this was a very stick-type educator instead of the carrot. Um, and this is what the law is to us. It is not something to bring us to maturity in Christ. It's something to educate us and to point us to what we need. The law is the perfect example of what we possibly could do to justify ourselves in the eyes of the Lord. And the whole purpose of it is that it is impossible to achieve. And it is, its impossibility should point us to our vulnerability and the fact that we cannot achieve this on our own, which should point us to faith in Christ. 
So that's what the law was. That's what the law is, and the purpose of the law. To the people of Galatia at the time, this was a source of tense, a lot of tension within their faith. Um, the law was, they had never been subject to the law as Gentiles, and the Jewish leadership was trying to force some of these physical aspects onto them, um, which we're going to go into a little bit. Um, and they perceived it very negatively because it was a physical aspect of faith. Sorry. It was a physical aspect that was meant to demonstrate faith that they were never subject to before they became believers and they were then being subject to. We'll talk about that in a minute. The law to us today is actually a really good thing. A lot of us view it as something prohibitive and concerning because things are, words are used in the Bible like the law is a curse and cursed is anyone under the law. It doesn't paint a rosy picture. Um, but in Psalms 19, 7 through 8, it says, The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple, which is talking about simple people. So dumb people become wise under the law. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. So despite the fact that the Galatians saw this as a very tense situation, to us, this should be a relieving thing that points us to our inability to achieve this on our own, and that should give us great comfort that we have something, have a way to achieve salvation by just faith. So, for those of you in the room who are Christians, most of you have accepted this, that the only way to heaven is through faith in Jesus Christ. If you haven't, we should talk. Um, but... For many people in the Christian faith, this is the last time we exercise this level of faith. We believe that he died to save us. We accept him into our life to fulfill our salvation. And then we go back to trying to justify ourselves and not, sorry, not justify ourselves, perfect ourselves and become more Christ-like through our works. Which, if you actually think about that, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense Anyone who is a believer is saved but not perfected, and we will not be until heaven. Becoming more and more Christ-like every day is the mark of being a Christian, which makes all of us think that we should be doing something to become more Christ-like, which, by the way, we should. That's not what I'm saying. But it's not law-focused. But this idea that we are constantly being convicted by the law to become more Christ-like pushes us to pursue sanctification, pursue perfection. And the only way that, not the only way, the most natural way for humans to do that is through works. We seek to do things to make us more Christ-like. We seek to take actions to make us more Christ-like. But just as we can't be saved by our works, we can't be perfected by our works. We'll get into how we can in a couple minutes. Um, so, this brings us back to the Galatians situation where they were being pressured to take this physical, um, this physical action that they were being told would yield, yield spiritual results. John 5, 39-40 says, You study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me. Yet you refuse to come to me to have life. That was Jesus talking. 
he's talking to, I'm sorry, I forgot, either the Pharisees or the Sadducees. Basically, their entire job was to read the scripture, and he was telling them that all their scripture reading, they hadn't actually come to know him and come to understand him and come to serve him. Because they were not trying to be perfected by faith. They were trying to be perfected by works. And this was the outcome. They were the people who crucified Jesus. They denied him, hunted him down, and had him killed, despite the fact that their entire job was to understand the words written about him. The point here being not that reading the Bible is bad, but that without faith, anything can turn into self-indulgence. So, the last part of this, which probably, hopefully the most important part, how to live to be sanctified by faith. The question comes down to how do you please God but not on your own effort? If, you're not, if works are evidence of our faith, but our works cannot save us and our works cannot perfect us, how are we to pursue perfection? How are we to pursue God? And I listened to a lot of sermons about this because this was, I read this, this was the first question I had, and it was not touched by anybody that I could find. Uh, my wife turned me on to a sermon that John Piper gave seven years before I was born, so give or take like three decades before all of you. Um, and he called it Walking by the Spirit, and he gave an acronym to live by. It was, it was actually funny. He tried to make it into a word as hard as he could. There's no way that these letters can turn into a word. Um, so it's aptat. A-P-T-A-T. We're going to go through it. It's important. Hopefully it'll be effective and helpful for all of you. But the second A in APTAT is ACT. Uh, But the actions are in pursuit of serving God. If our actions are in pursuit of perfecting ourselves, it's naturally and automatically self-indulgent. We can't attempt to perfect ourselves without it being self-centered. But what we can do is we can try to serve God and have faith that God will perfect us. Just like we have faith in God, faith that God will save us, has saved us. Um, So actions in pursuit of service to God or in service to pleasing God are evidence of living by faith. Where acts that you think are good or you're checking a box to do something, something that could be great, reading your Bible every day, praying, Uh, going out and serving the homeless. These things are awesome. These things are things that we should do. But if we are doing them to check a box to be perfected, to become better Christians, that's not the purpose of doing those things. We should be doing those things in service of God. And our service of God, God, our faith in God, will perfect us. So, the acronym. APTAT. How we actually do this because this was actually my first thought when I heard that. I was like, great, now that's useless. How do I actually accomplish this? Um, Which, by the way, this acronym, five letters, it's great, but it's still going to be super hard, just full disclosure. Um, So the first A, I acknowledge that without Christ I can do nothing. John 15, 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. The P is pray. 
I pray that God may, would make me love as Jesus loves and work in me all that is pleasing to him. And it's Hebrews 13, 21. May the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good for doing his will. And may you work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. The first T is trust. I trust the promise of God's help and strength and guidance. Isaiah 41.10, so do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. A, is the last A is for act. I act in obedience to God's word. Philippians 2.12, therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. And the last T is thank. I thank God for whatever good comes. I give him glory. First Peter 4.11, if anyone speaks, he should do it as one speaking the very words of God. If anyone serves, he should do it with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. So I read this, and I was inspired. I thought this was great. And then I actually went through and like just read the words, which are acknowledge, pray, trust, act, and thank, and it became suddenly daunting. Just taking those five steps to making a major life decision sounds somewhat horrifying, honestly. Um, but then through days of prayer, it actually occurred to me that this is comforting. Most of the time when I'm making a decision like this, I analyze, and then I overanalyze, and then I rethink, and then I redo all of it, and then I still have no idea what to do. The idea of this is that we don't necessarily have to know how to, perf- we don't have to know how to perfect ourselves. There's no personal aspect of it for us. All we have to do is rely on Christ and rely on God and have faith that he will perfect us, faith that he will save us. So, APTAT, ACT, PRAY, TRUST, ACT, THANK. It's a great acronym. Whatever version of that you want to use, I would encourage you to do it. The real summation of all this is pretty simple. We as Christians have all accepted that we can't be saved by our actions. We have to be saved by faith through faith in Christ. But what is not really frequently talked about is that being perfected is the same. We cannot be perfected and become more Christ-like by our own actions either. We have to have faith and have faith in God that he will grow us to become more like him in our life. And then when we pass away, we will be reunited with him and actually finally be fully perfected. As simple and somewhat concerning as that is, is the only solution. So, um, as everybody stresses over their life decisions now, because um, I did, that was a fun part of this, um, just remember that faith in God will lead you to better growth in him and better connection with him than anything you possibly, any checkbox that you could possibly check will. And that's it. 
All right. Lord, thank you for this time together. Thank you for Tim giving me hand signals back there so I know what I'm doing. Um, Please, just anything that was from me, help it to be forgotten. Anything that was from you, help it to be remembered and lived well. Please help everybody to connect well in their small groups tonight and to understand you better for this, this time that we've gotten to spend together. In your name I pray. Hey, thanks for tuning in. We have a whole lot more going on around here at church, and we hope to see you Monday nights, 7 o'clock for Revive. If you want more information about upcoming events, classes, camps, or activities, visit us at fccsantamaria.org.